Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. What's up, everybody? It's Jasmine with the New Black Collective. And what's up, y'all? It's Dave. You are with Blackscent. And you are now tuning into Stories of the Streets. Stories of the Streets is powered by Rogue Media Network in collaboration with Change Waco, the New Black Collective, and Blackscent. Um, today we have a super special guest. Um, yesterday, July 31st, was our one-year anniversary, but today we're doing it a little different. We're having a live episode with the police chief, the new police chief of Waco, Miss Cheryl um, Victorian. Is Thank right? you. Yeah, yeah Cheryl Victorian. Thank <laughs> you for having me and happy anniversary. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. Absolutely. We are excited to have mm-hmm. you. Um, so we did this episode a little different. We got crowd questions. Uh, we normally just kind of go off the top of our head, but mm-hmm. we wanted to have uh, a good conversation and sure. an open conversation with the community. Um, we have some questions that people submitted to our Instagram, our Facebook, or our personal inboxes or text messages. Okay. <laughs> so uh, we just have um, those questions that were submitted to us, and I believe you've already received some of them. Yeah. There are a few that came in kind of last minute, but um, we'll just go ahead and get started with what we already know that you've seen before. Okay, that's fine. Um, <laughs> is there any way the nonprofits here in Waco could help? with a site and diverse site and divert or site and release ordinance. Um, the people of Waco want to see a drastic drop in the number of low level crime arrests. So site and release program is, is actually an excellent uh, program and there are different stakeholders that you have to get involved in order for it to function uh, correctly, uh, including the district attorney's office, the judges, and of course the police department. And uh, we have to get our city government on board as well. Um, we did implement a site and release program in Houston, so it is something that I support. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so we have to make sure that there are the other stakeholders on board with, um, you know, beginning a site and re- release program. And there are only certain offenses; these are non-violent offenses that are eligible for site and release, mm-hmm. uh, such as petty theft, um, criminal mischief. Um, uh, low-level uh, marijuana possession, like four ounces, are uh, below uh, if you're not uh, already participating in the program. So um, there are programs that are already uh, working effectively uh, that could be implemented. But, yes, we just have to get buy-in from all the stakeholders. How long? Um, you're from Houston, right? Absolutely, yeah. I love Houston so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been there all my life until now. Yeah. Welcome to Waco. Thank you. Okay, so the next question says, Waco was seeking a $1.5 million grant to help hire new police officers. Did the city ever receive the money, and is it just going to be used to hire new police officers? 
um, and this, we have not received a $1.6 million grant. Uh, I think this person is confusing this with the Department of Justice grant that we applied for um, to supplement the number of police officers that we have on the street. And what that is is a program where we requested police officers from the Department of Justice. The Department of Justice will pay 75% of those officers' salary for the first three years that they are hired, including they give us like a one-year to hire and train, and then for three years they'll pay 75% of the salary. The city would have to pay 25% of the salary, but after that the city has to pay the entire salary. So the $1.6 million comes in after that four years um, to pay the sal- officers' salaries that were hired from that program. Gotcha. So, and we have not been approved yet. Um, they kept extending the grant. They finally closed it again, uh, I think this past Friday, and uh, they're supposed to make announcements on September the 1st. So we'll know if we would get those positions and eventually get that funding added to our budget um, in four years after that point. Gotcha. Okay, I have a question that's kind of random to piggyback off of that. With those officers being hired, what does that look like for the city of Waco? So um, our evening shift suffers a lot with responding to calls for service. That's where we have the most calls for service. Um, That's when the most incidents occur, uh, you know, most violent incidents occur. And so that's where we would like to beef up that unit um, on evening shift that works from 3 o'clock in the afternoon to 1 o'clock in the morning. Um, So that it, it just more officers on the street to be proactive in addressing crimes and responding to crime and hopefully uh, reduce the fear of crime because we're able to be visible and um, uh, hopefully catch things before it actually happens. That's so. Oh, this is one of my favorite questions. Um, uh, how do you stay true to yourself in such a conflicting um, profession, you know, given everything that's been going on in recent years? So when I first became a police officer, I never imagined um, – we would be where we are today. I knew that there were some issues generationally with people of color, uh, black and brown people. Um, but when I joined the police department, of course, I wanted to put the bad guy in jail. That was my priority. Got to put the bad guy in jail. But um, then, too, I wanted to demonstrate that police officers can take this job to be public servants and do the right thing. Um, and then over the course of the man, the past 10 years or so, things have started to change and it's become, you know, a different um, a different profession. Um, but I, I look at it not as challenges, but as, as, as a leader now, as an opportunity, uh, we still have a lot of work to do. Every time we feel like we're taking 10 steps ahead, we get pushed back 11. When one incident happens, I don't care what part of the country it's in. So, um, you know, I feel like I'm being true to myself by, um, managing my ma- the primary commitment that I made when I first became a police officer, and that was to to make a difference, whether it was putting a bad guy in jail or connecting with the community. And now one of my priorities as a leader, I realized that uh, a long time ago after I started promoting that, you know, arresting, we couldn't arrest our way out of everything mm-hmm. and that we needed to um, – be uh, guardians just as much as we needed to be warriors. So one of my main priorities is to increase the number of positive interactions that we have with our communities, specifically communities of African-Americans and and, and brown people, or Hispanic or Mexican-Americans, I shouldn't (laughs) say that. No, I got you. Like, it's kind of, like, hard. You know, kind of, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) But, um, no, I appreciate that. I love the the whole, you know, got to be guardians as much as warriors. That That is super powerful. 
Um, that's the next one we need to. Yeah, okay. So this is a Change Waco question. So in some of our Change Waco Zoom calls, there was mention of setting up initiatives that would get people with mental health issues professional help rather than jail time. Is that something you or the city is pursuing? And is there any way the nonprofits of the city can help? You know, it would be really, really helpful if we had a mental health diversion program um, or large, large enough organizations and, and the money to put social workers in in the cars with our police officers because a lot of times they are, well, most times they are better equipped at handling our mental health calls. You know, we receive training uh, crisis intervention training, but we're not social workers, and that's not our specialty. So um, it will, you know, I would love to see us one day in the future have social workers um, in our patrol cars with our officers, and when we have calls, mental health calls, to have them dispatched as well. If it's a nonviolent uh, call, to have them dispatched as well, and to find somewhere. And and our officers do a lot of emergency detention orders. Everybody that we get a call to for mental health issues do not go to jail. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of them go to the hospital, rightfully so. Um, but if if they're not violent and have committed a crime, we don't have another option. Mm-hmm. And so we have to figure out what that option is going to be, uh, and you know, have a facility or something where we can um, divert them to, as opposed to putting them in jail. Um, and, and it's a lot bigger issue than that because these people need help. Um, our, our, our mental health consumers, they need help. And, you know, they may go and get an emergency detention order today and in 24 hours they're back out. And yeah. if they're having a mental issue, they're, you know, a mental crisis, they're, they're going to continue to, you know, be a part of that system. So we need to come up with some more permanent solutions um, and just work together to maybe create a, a diversion program for those that are committing nonviolent offenses until we can get them the help that they need and get them on the track to, um, you know, wh- whether they're taking their medicine or getting them a job or whatever. But uh, one thing that I do want to say that we're working with um, Waco Connect, and uh, we are hiring a social, one social worker to work with our CCAS unit, which is our um, criminal apprehension and supervision team, and uh, we'll have somebody on that unit because that unit initially was supposed to go after those guys, the bad guys with the warrants and stuff, and we found ourselves, um, and, and they were supposed to go after the ones who were committing most of the crimes most of the time. And what we found was that most of those people were people with mental illnesses. Mm-hmm. So that's where they've been focus, focusing their time. And we've been fortunate enough to be approved to have a social worker to work with that group, not go out in the car and be on the tr- patrol with them, but to work with that group to be able to provide resources that we may not know about to be able to help those uh, chronic consumers that we're seeing. Absolutely. <coughs> that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what changes do you want to see in Waco's current um, police, policing system? You know, when I first got here, when I, um, even during the selection process, when I came to Waco to visit Waco, to learn more about Waco, to make sure that this was somewhere that I wanted to be as well, um, I, I noticed that there was a lot of support for our police officers. Um, and even though we do have a lot of support, I want to make sure that we increase, this one of my priorities, increase the number of positive interactions that we have with um, in all communities, specifically in communities of color um, to make sure that we can start, you know, in in order to reverse some of the stereotypes that our black and brown communities have about the police and the police have about, you know, these um, implicit biases that we have about, you know, African-American communities. And I say we uh, (laughs) because we are represented by just, you know, more than just me as an African-American. 
uh, we have to connect and we have to contact and we have to have positive interactions and we have to just blow away some of these stereotypes by interacting and having a relationship with our community. So, um, so far, I, that's, I've been out and about in the community. I want the kids to see me. I want the kids to know that this is something that they can do. Um, and I want them to see, uh, you know, know that police officers are not the only, you know, what they see in TV of the neg- negative stereotypes that we're here to help, we're here to support, we're here to encourage, we're here to, you know, um, to just do what we can to make sure that they're successful ci- citizens and to prevent crime. <laughs> Some of my favorite like videos I see all online all the time are cops like playing basketball with people and stuff yes. like that. And it's like, you know, every incident doesn't have to go negative and you know, there's definitely people on both sides that make it go out that way. But, That's right. Um, and, nah. and and one of the things that we're doing um, uh, this weekend, mm-hmm. we're having our first annual back to school bash and it's going to be at the tower. I mean, what better way than to connect with the community, than to invite them into your home. So yeah. the tower is our home, but it's the citizens home too, because they pay out the taxes. They are the police as well. So we're going to invite, um, our citizens in our community out to the police tower from 10 to 2 next Saturday uh, <laughs> for a back-to-school bash. And we're going to give away backpacks and school supplies and have fun and have music and entertainment. It's going to be a dunking booth. I get to get dunked, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, and, you know, and just just have have a lot, have a good time with our kids and our communities and let them know that uh, we care about their success and want them to be successful in school. Um, so I'm looking forward to that next week. Weekend. And like I said, it's our first annual mm-hmm. and our community has been more than supportive and donating school supplies and backpacks. Um, it's been just been an overwhelming response and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. So that's just one of the ways that we're going to do that. No, I like that. Um, <coughs> I hope that keeps going. That's my first time hearing about it. So yes. I'm gonna try to, try well, to I would it. definitely share the flyer with you. We got to yeah. push that out there because yeah. we want um, and, you know, and, and we realize that we're kind of like in center of town and, um, you know, and whatever we have left, we've already made plans to go out into communities and just start handing them, handing out backpacks, those that we have left, or going to those schools where we know kids may not be able to, may not come to school the first day with a backpack or yeah. pen or papers, you know, and, and give them out to the to, to the principals and the teachers and the counselors and say, hey, you know better than we do who need this stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know, but we like to be a part of handing that out so they know that, hey, this came from the police, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we're looking forward to it. I think that's awesome. Yeah. I didn't know about it until uh, Dr. Peaches told us because we have a back to school drive. Well, we have a giveaway the same day, and I was like, oh, I wish we would have known ahead of time because it would have been something that we could have coordinated on, but we didn't know. And I told her, we do it every year, and we're working with Transformation Waco to service Indian Spring and now Carver. So we kind of had to stay where we were because that need was different than what y'all are doing anyway. So I'm just grateful that the kids have, well, not the kids, but the parents have options of where they can go, you know, get resources and backpacks. Because I know that that's something we struggle with. Like last year, no, the year before last, we were out in 30 minutes, and we didn't know where to redirect them to. <laughs> wow. So it's really good that more people are doing these yeah. types of back-to-school events. So yeah, I'm grateful. Like and like you said, coming from the police department is yeah. something that's different for right. everybody. Exactly. And so, hey, and if you guys are – are doing things that you know can help us build that police legitimacy and improve our relationships, invite us. Uh, If I'm available, if I'm not available, we'll have somebody else to come out just to represent us because um, we we need 
to in, increase those positive interactions. Yeah, and and we can only do it through you guys. <laughs> that's something that we've talked uh, with in Change Waco. We we'll talked about within Change Waco is how do we um, instead of community policing because that's something that kind of the term kind of does something to me because I grew up in East <laughs> Waco. So I was like, can y'all please stop saying it? <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> we talked about community engagement and like something that I told them that I would like to see is like the police department, you know, talk to the people that live in those neighborhoods, the church leaders and different things like that, because that's the only way that there is going to be any trust built because exactly. the black community in the Hispanic community in Waco don't trust the police. Like no matter, even though we're doing this interview, they're still going to be like, oh, what y'all doing? Yeah. Right. So I think like those different types of events, if y'all are present, then that will start to build the trust because they see y'all in a different light and it's always not being stopped or arrested. So mm -hmm. I think that that's something that's very important. Yeah. So we really, really appreciate that. No, absolutely. And, you know, you bring up the term community policing. Um, community policing is, is so different for me. So there's a term that I, I learned, a philosophy that I learned from my previous chief before I got here called relational policing. Mm. And relational policing, um, the fundamental principles are building relationships. And not, in order to perform community policing, which are problem-solving activities and coordinating with the community to solve problems, you got to have a relationship. Mm -hmm. You have to build that trust. And relational policing, the tenets of relational policing are transparency, respect, engagement, which is to me is very, very key. Building that emotional capital and knowing, okay, they trust us, we trust them. Um, and being accountable, making sure we're holding the officers accountable just as we hold the citizens accountable. And we feel like that uh, transparency, respect, engagement, building that emotional capital and accountability will build trust. So the, the tenets spell out the words treat, with two E's, and um, we feel like all of those tenants leading up to that last T build trust. So uh, I'm all about relational policing, love community policing, know what that is, but we can't do that without having relationships yeah. with our community. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, this this question was originally like a whole lot more color-based, like the person that has two separate questions, but I kind of just merged it into one. Um, is there something that the regular everyday people can do to help the current climate of policing here in Waco? Yeah, there. Um, I, one of the things that I think we can do is join in on what we're doing. I mean, it's it's really surprising to me that when I mention some of the programs that we have with the police department, when I talk about talk to our, our African American community and our Spanish community, they go, "We didn't know about that." Mm -hmm. and I'm like, "What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know." And so we have programs like our Citizens Police Academy. It's so important. I don't care how you feel about the police. And, yes, most of them will be held at the tower. Most of the meetings are going. It's a 12-week program, three hours a, a once a week, where you learn about what we do at the police department. We talk about policy. We do the shoot, don't shoot. You do a ride-along. SWAT comes out and tell you when and why they come out. Our family violence unit, our canine, canine unit. It's a lot of fun, but it's a learning activity and an opportunity for you to get a better understanding of why we make some of the decisions that we make as a police department. And we hold several citizen police academies a year. We have one starting August the 19th. The last day to uh, apply is August the 13th. And you can just go online to our website and it says Citizen Police Academy. Click on it. The application is there. Um, the last time we graduated a class, I had just gotten here and there was one African-American female. And that was... 
Um, and I say about 15 that at least came to the graduation. We were just coming out of COVID. Um, and and that, that surprised me. And so I would love to see our communities get involved in our citizens' police academies um, so you can, can ask those questions when those, you know, when our team is before you um, and then see why we make some of the decisions that we make, you know. Um, so th that's one opportunity. And again, like I said earlier, if there are opportunities in the community that people are hosting events where we can use that as a positive engagement and we can just, whether we show our face and put up a table, shake hands with the kids or hug the kids, take pictures, whatever, you know, then, then let us know so that we can come out and be in, involved in those activities so that we can start that contact and start changing the perceptions and um, our, the relationship that we have. I agree. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was trying to process everything. That, that is a, yeah. I, I didn't know until we started changing like a lot of the things that were on the police website. But it's just because there's no... Like nobody's telling anybody, especially people of color. Like this, yeah. I can believe they don't know. I know yeah. they don't yeah. know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right. And I'm like, sometimes if we don't know something, we know that the rest of them don't know either. That, that they don't yeah. know exactly. Yeah. So and it's so just safe. They don't know. I thank you for this opportunity to be able to share that, and I share that every time that I can um, to make sure that they do know, and they are welcome to come and participate in these programs. Awesome. There's a lot of things that aren't transparent with people. I realized that when we were. Um, bring up a bunch of like voting rights and trying to push people who are running elections and stuff like that. A lot of it's never easily accessible or people don't know where to look. So I, right. I definitely didn't know about that, but that sounds, that sounds cool. That's right. Cool CPA. I mean, we have our police explorers for our youth. Um, you know, believe it or not, when I was growing up, you used to ask, ask kids in first and second grade what they want to be. Police officers used to yeah. be a top thing. <laughs> and now you don't hear it as much. You still, and I've been to schools and, and I have heard kids say they still want to be a police officer, but now, you know, they're, Either if they do, they don't want to say it yeah. because, you know, they hear so much negativity and negative stuff about police officers. But um, we have young pro young people programs, the Junior Police Academy, for two weeks in the summertime um, where kids can come and do the same thing that adults do during the Citizens Police Academy uh, over a course of two weeks from 8 to 12. And then we introduce them not just to the local law enforcement, but, you know, the Texas Rangers or DPS oh. and, you know, the county and, and just – come together to learn more about law enforcement um and then of course the explore program is an ongoing program and they once they 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 get involved in competitions and they you know learn the strategies and tactics of policing and then they go and uh, compete against other explorer programs from other police departments That's across cool. the state of oh, texas yeah. it's a lot of fun but you don't see a lot of yeah. black, black and brown people participating yeah. but i would love to have some of our kids to go and participate in these programs and to represent and to learn more about what we do um, and then you know of course when you're ready to go to high school and you're ready to go to college and you need volunteer hours there are plenty of opportunities for our explorers to volunteer we'll have our explorers out next Saturday um, for the back to school event when they come for back to school they get volunteer hours that That's they can cool. apply for you know when they apply for college yeah. they can mention that so um, the opportunities for, are there and I would if anybody's you know, they can reach reach me on the website. Have questions about it? Please feel free to reach out to me, and I, I would be glad to share that information. Oh, thank you. That's it. Okay. <laughs> this question says: Are there any laws still in place that you view as racist or discriminatory, and what are the city's plans in moving past these laws and correcting former mistakes? 
So I saw a question, and and on, do you guys have any that you know of? Because I I don't have any that I knew of offhand. Uh, I mean, I've been here five months, and nothing has uh, reared its ugly head. Um, but uh, I, I don't know. It's, um, it's, I don't know. know any laws in particular. I just think that um, I think that the thing in Waco is policy, not. Not something that, like, the state says, oh, this is what you should do and you better do it. But I think, like, local policy, like, a lot of the site and release is really a big thing, especially within Change Waco. I know, like, site and release and um, there being, like, a citizen's advisory board and things like that. Those are things that um, we kind of came up with that we felt could be better. Mm -hmm. Um, And, like I said, community policing was a thing because it was brought up on one of the Zoom calls that we were on. And I told them, you know, can y'all find another term? Like you said, relational policing (laughs) sounds a whole lot better than community policing because when I heard community policing, I I told them it made me have flashbacks of like when we were growing up, we would be walking and we would like sometimes my cousins would literally like be stopped. Where y'all going? We're walking to the store. We're like 10, 12 years old. So when people say that, that kind of triggered me um, because I felt like they were supposed to be like patrolling and they were policing us. And we weren't doing anything wrong with being children. Like, it's the summertime. We're out of school. We're walking right. around because that's what kids, we're in the country. That's what kids and you do. Know, and, <laughs> I didn't say that. You said <laughs> we were in the country. You know, and, and to me, those are just opportunities that are missed or that, that are lost. Uh, and, and reframing that question would change that whole thing. Hey, how you guys doing? Yeah. What's your name? Where y'all been, you know, where y'all headed to? I mean, and the way that that yeah. could just the disposition and refresh, you know, that would have been totally different yeah. than sound like you being interrogated. Yeah. And, and if that's how and you they knew, felt. They knew our faces, and I think that's what made it worse. It's like we saw the same people all the time, and it was always the same thing. And it's like, y'all know we're not doing anything. Yeah. So, you know, instead of taking the opportunity to build a relationship with us, which they very well could have, mm-hmm. that's not what was happening. And like I said, I grew up in East Waco across the tracks. So during that time that we were growing up, there was always a lot of activity over there, but we weren't the ones making activity be a thing. So it was just kind of a situation where we were constantly rubbed wrong, and I think that's kind of what made us be like, oh, police coming again. Okay, here we go, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know. So I don't don't know any laws in particular that they could be referring to, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. I do know like a lot of the – Sight and release is a big thing for a lot, of, a lot of people because I think that they feel like a lot of the black men in Waco are um, jailed for things that they could have been, you know, given a warning for. So I think that's the biggest thing. But like you said, knowing the policies and how much marijuana somebody can have, because that's the big. I think a lot of it has to do with people being arrested for drugs um, and. Drugs are still against the law. So I, yeah. you know, I don't want anybody thinking, oh, I can yeah. have four ounces of drug. The chief said I can have four ounces. No, you cannot cite. That's I was giving that using that as an example. But yeah, it, it it's not it's not a law and tell me it's not legal in Texas. So when you have any amount of yeah of, of drugs on I think you, that's the biggest thing and not even just them having the drugs, but the amount of prison time or jail time oh, that yes. they receive. Um, in exchange for, you know, the amount of drugs they have versus what maybe their white counterpart would receive. That's the biggest thing that people have an issue with within Waco. And it's it's the truth. You I know, mean, that's the criminal justice system. So it's not just, yeah, they enter because we found them with it and we have to file the charges and yeah. put them in jail. 
But then once it gets to the courts level, I mean, that just that just means that we all need to sit around a table and talk about how, um, you know, we can address that. And unfortunately, I don't have the information about how they are handling um, making sure that it's fair and consistent with um, punishment and dis- yeah. discipline, punishment for crimes, so our drug crimes. But yeah. historically, I mean, with the research and everything, that's what it shows. Yeah, it shows you know we always get the, you know, the people in years for thirty years going to jail for thirty years for some weed. Yeah, so that's yeah, yeah. But I think that's one of the biggest things is really like that's what we talked about is like you know the drug, the drug charges, and the time that they receive in exchange versus with some because I know, Bell Mead is probably full of, you know, it's not your jurisdiction, but. Like those people in Bellmead that do meth and stuff, this <laughs> meth labs. <laughs> I'm not being funny, oh, but they 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 go and they get out and then they're doing it again. And I think that's what people see is like, well, they're not being reprimanded, but somebody who's smoking something that people consider is healthier, they have weed, they get more time versus somebody's doing you know selling or doing meth that can just wipe somebody out quickly. Right. They're not receiving as much time, and I think that's the the larger issue. So, like you said, it's a it's a roundtable discussion. Yeah, because <laughs> we need to get the DAs in here, we get the, the judges yeah. in there that makes yeah. the makes those decisions, yeah. make those decisions. You know, coming in with the research to show that it's been disparities for years, and, and okay, how are we going to fix it? Right. How do we make it fair? Kind of thing. So. I think I was on Instagram like I think this morning, and my cousin has sent me this link um, to where this new study found uh, that. You know, police officers aren't being as respectful to, like, you know, black drivers as they are, like, um, people who aren't of color. We're not really just black drivers, but people of color as they are, like, white drivers. And I was like, you don't really need um, a study for that. Like, you know, there's, there's, you can go talk to any, almost anybody, and they can probably point to a negative interaction that they've had with police. And I hate that. So I really appreciate you coming on here and, like, mentioning, you know, wanting to be more transparent and wanting to build more relationships because, like, I live in Hewitt. I don't live in Waco, technically. Um, and the last interaction that I had with a police officer in Hewitt was, like, too, like, good to me to be true because I was, like, in a rush to work, and I had, like, cut him off. <laughs> and he was in an undercover car. He pulled me over, um, asked me what I was, um, you know, speeding for, uh, stuff like that, you know, just going through the motions. And then he let me go. I didn't get a ticket. I didn't, you know, it was, I guess it was a warning, stuff like that. But he, like, verbally mentioned how I could have hit him trying to just, you know, swerve over and, you know, get on down the street. And I, it just really baffled me because I was like, I don't, I'm not used to interactions like that where someone's being, you know, respectful and I'm getting let go and I'm not getting pulled out the car, you know, stuff like that. I'm not used to that. But see, we don't hear about that. We yeah. have millions of contacts. Across, I'm talking about all 18,000 police officers across this, our police agencies across this country. We have millions of contacts with citizens daily that go right. Yeah. But those are not the ones that we talk about. Yeah. Right. So that's that's not what sells. That's not what people yeah. are seeing. But and I know that there are a lot of times I've watched videos of our police officers here on stuff that I just knew was going to go bad, and they were just phenomenal. So um, it's just it's it requires a balance. Um, but there, trust me, there are many, many, many more positive interactions than there are negative interactions. And I tell you, and I challenged our community to do this when I first got here. I was like, hey, we always hear about the bad interactions. Yeah. When somebody does something extraordinary or do does something well. Tell me about those times, too, you know, and, and our officers like hearing that when they hear it and it comes from me or it comes from the top. 
they're more apt to go out and continue to do it, right? I mean, not that, I mean, I haven't had too many complaints uh, since I've been here, but, you know, inevitably, yeah, I know, I know it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I know that everybody, you know, don't come to work with a smile on their face every mm-hmm. day or in a great mood and every interaction is perfect. I, I realize that, but a lot of them are. So um, I encourage our citizens when officers do stuff well, just as when they do stuff bad, to just let us know. I appreciate that. <laughs> Um, the last question I got submitted uh, was, what does the current budget for the police department look like? Um, I think this is the same person that kind of mentioned the the grant. So mm-hmm. they're, um, mm-hmm. they're like, you know, are we going to see more like, you know, facilities and like cop cars and stuff like that? Or will it be, you know, more of a focus on like initiatives like the site and release and stuff like that? So the budget for the police department has not increased. Um, and like I said, I explained the uh, dis- Department of Justice process with hiring new officers, mm-hmm. but our budget is currently like $43.6 million. 85% of our budget is for salaries and benefits. Um, that um, other 15% are for supplies, equipment, training, wow. and that type of thing. So, um, there's really not a whole lot of room <laughs> um, um, with what we what we do, but uh, we have no plans of doing anything differently than we have in the past right now with the current budget. Um, you know, every now and then we have to move stuff around, but we only have about 15% to move around because we have to pay our salaries and budgets. Mm-hmm. We have to, uh, 267 sworn perso- police personnel and 97 support personnel, so about 400 people. And all of that is included in our budget. So um, that is our budget. Um, and, again, if we get that $1.6 million in, in four years, it's because to pay the salaries of the officers that we receive from the Department of Justice. So. Oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> I think people are always under the impression that, like, you know, the police are loaded. You know, yeah, like, I yeah. know, right. I mean, we're the <laughs> biggest department in the city, yeah. so we have the biggest budget, and but we have the the most people too. Yeah. And um, and salaries and benefits cost a lot, and it's it's not a secret. I'm sure it's on a city website or something. Yeah. What our money has been spent on, and eighty five percent of it is salaries and budget. So we have fifteen percent to manage, but fifteen percent of four point forty three million dollars is still yeah. a lot of money. Um, but again, we need police cars. They and break they down. Use. They yeah. get yeah. <laughs> they get in a wreck. You know, equipment and training, and wow. so yeah. Oh wow. Um, <laughs> so, do you want to kind of explain this part? Change Waco. Okay, so Change Waco was formed last year, right? Yeah. yeah. Time flies. <laughs> no, literally. <laughs> Change Waco was formed last year after um, the. I hate talking about. <laughs> I hate talking about it because it, like you said, people. Um, it's always a thing, and we never hear about the good stuff. But after the George Floyd uh, incident, Change Waco was formed. Um, Debbie R and some of his friends put together a protest, and um, after their protest. Um, some of us came together with our different organizations within Waco. Um, the New Black Collective, Black Scent was born, um, and Immigrants Alliance. Um, I'm trying to think of everybody's yeah, like individual. Clavis, like Pastor yeah. Jones. Yeah, some of the pastors and um, Keith Kent McKeever with uh, Greater Waco Legal Services. So it was just a just kind of a diverse group of us. Uh, we came together and we um, we had conversations about every week on Zoom, and we were trying to figure out a way that we could service Waco um, 
not just within the um, individual capacities of our organizations and our individual persons, but how we could come together as a coalition. So it is a coalition of, um, I had said this word, so I'm going to say BIPOC <laughs> organizations <laughs> um, and white allies. And it's addressing the criminal uh, justice system within Wycombe McLennan County. And some of the things that we decided uh, decided on would be our focus are the five things that Quavis told me to ask you about. Um, so the, we've already touched on the first one, to adopt a site and release ordinance or policy. Um, you said you were for that. Mm -hmm. So we've already established that. The second, um, the second thing that we um, adopted was uh, to establish a criminal justice committee on equity, and I guess that's kind of what you and I were touching on as far as like the drug offenses and talking to the DAs and the judges, and um, like he he wanted to know if you were for or against all of these things. So okay, you can feel no, free. We, no, yeah. absolutely. You I, I mentioned to, let's get you know. Yeah. As far as the criminal justice concerns are, we need to sit down and talk about that. But we need everybody around the table, not just police. Yeah, uh, you know, um, but the courts and judges and in corrections as well. Yeah, and I think one of the misconceptions is that y'all can handle everything. Yeah, we do everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And because um, a lot of the questions um, are geared toward the police department, right. but I don't think that sometimes people take into consideration that, like you said, y'all are a part of the puzzle. Y'all are not the whole piece. Um, so once y'all file the charges it's really out of y'all's hands so i think that that's important for people to remember is like y'all are y'all are the it. starting of the process yeah. right we, we are and, we do start the process yeah and, and i don't think that a lot of people know that i think that's why they get so attached to like hating the cops too because they yeah. see y'all first and they're like well if y'all let me go like you know yeah, i wouldn't have right. to deal with you know all this that happens next right. but it's also like um, a slippery slope because if you don't do the stuff in the first place, you wouldn't have to deal with the cops in the second place. Right. But now that makes that makes sense. Yeah. So much a criminal justice committee. Okay. Yes. You you want to? Okay, I do next. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, the third one that they mentioned was create a citizen um advisory board. Mm -hmm. So kind of like a I'm just read the thing. A civilian advisory board will give the public power to recommend depart departmental policies and procedures that can lead to systemic changes. And investigate citizen complaints against the against the police department. So I guess like that's trying the accountability. To, yeah, aspect. trying to yeah. take it more out of like not really take it out of y'all's hands, but kind of give y'all a helping hand to where it isn't just in house people watching other in house people. You know have you know citizens on the outside who are dedicating time to make sure that you know cops are being held accountable. So I mentioned doing uh, the interview process. Uh, we had a process in Houston, and I, I sat on one of the boards, and it was called Administrator Disciplinary review committee where we had citizens and we had another committee that was just citizens, the Ind independent police oversight board. And they got to our city serious cases of excessive use of force or uh, even if a serious behavior off duty, they got to see all of those cases after they were investigated by ID and they got to ask questions and, you know, and we realized that they are not, you know, police officers and they don't understand all policy, but policy was there for them to refer to um, once the discipline was recommended and their whole, um, goal was to look over the case, make sure it was in line with, because we have a disciplinary make, matrix to make sure that everybody was being treated fairly and um, allow them an opportunity to say, well, yeah, this falls in within the discipline, you know, whether they should be terminated or whether they should get five days off or whatever, um, and to review those cases and to ask questions, you know, if they think there was a I that wasn't dotted, um, mm -hmm. hey, why didn't y'all ask this question? Mm -hmm. Or I see that 
this happened at a club? Did we talk to the club on or you know, if yeah. if we missed something? Um, and so they became so familiar with the type of cases that we had that, you know, that was they were satisfied. We never had to go through this, oh, we need a civilian review board with um, subpoena power because we gave them what they needed. Mm-hmm. And um, and I thought that that was really effective in one way that we had representation from the community and the community understood what we were doing and they had, you know, we could be able to say, we have community members that looked at these cases, like the non-serious violations, which we have more of those than anything else, like uh, department policy, uh, you uh, forgot to turn on your body worn camera, uh, you know, or something like that that's minor. Um, you know, they didn't have to look at those unless it was a part of the serious investigation. Then, yes, then they saw all of that. So um, I am not opposed to having something like like that. Like I said, we I've worked with um, Independent Police Officer Board and um, the Administrative Disciplinary Review Committee, which was actually a committee um, that was a combined with community members and police officers of every rank. It wasn't just executive staff. There was a police officer, somebody from the union, a sergeant, a lieutenant, and then there were um, four so, community members sitting on the board as well. When we get ready to uh, recommend discipline to the chief, all of them had a say in what that discipline should be or to make that recommendation. The chief always had the final discipline, yeah. the final say, but they had input. And uh, I think involving our communities and getting that buy-in, they see that we're not hiding anything, yeah. right? And, um, of course, there's confidentiality, those people that we select. To participate, mm-hmm. there's a level of confidentiality that's there, um, but it's people that, you know, hopefully that the community trusts and believes, okay, well, they have our best interests in mind. Right. So, yeah, I, I don't have a problem with it. I, we don't have a a big IAD, uh, an internal affairs division unit. We have a sergeant yeah. because we don't get that many IAD complaints that rise to the, the level. But if, you know, even if we had one that needed to meet once every other month or whatever, or uh, when we got a case, if we didn't have cases, maybe, hey, call y'all in and say, hey, we got a big one that we need to sit down and talk about it, we want the community to know about it. So um, I really don't have a problem forming that. I just think that when people go in and say, we need a civilian review board, well, if you've never had any problems with us, why do we go in antagonistic and causing a relationship? Well, let's try this first and see if it works yeah. and if we're giving you what you need and you're seeing what you need to see and there's no need to you know go all the way to the left right um but anyway so yeah i mean i don't have a problem with advisor it's criminal justice advisory board even if it's not just id cases but just things that may be going on in the community that i may not see or that right. i may not you know know about um or that they may be able to help me to address. And, you know, and I don't want a, a board that just brings me problems. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about some solutions and let's mm-hmm. talk about some of the good stuff too and how we can increase police legitimacy and build better relationships and trust in our community. Well, I feel like the criminal justice one is something that Waco would definitely need more than, I'm not going to say more than, you know, a police oversight. Um, I feel like just in like my, you know, circle and people that I've known and met and stuff like that, Stuff's always seem more contained and kind of more like, well, you know, you know, they shouldn't have did that and stuff like that versus right. it actually being like a super major wrong because compared to like the George Floyd case and Breonna Taylor Waco hasn't had stuff like that happen. Um, but like the criminal justice side of it, I do think that that would be a major nice step because I feel like that's where a lot of the things kind of go wrong in a sense. Um, it's because a lot of people is under the impression that like, 
Waco just to rest and put people in jail to kind of get more money from like you know people who get in trouble. So and that might yeah yeah, yeah you know you it's, it's yeah, a misconception. Yeah. That's why so it's it's good to to have those relationships and those kind of boards because um, that's part of that engagement and building that emotional capital with our community because we haven't had a George Floyd, thank God, oh, and we yeah. haven't had a Breonna Taylor. But who's to say that one day it something like that doesn't happen? Yeah. And if we've built that in, in engagement and emotional ca- capital with our, with our community members and they know that we're transparent, they're more than likely to say, okay, give Chief Victoria and her team a, a chance to figure out what happened and take care, you know, and handle this oh. as opposed to, you know, things just blowing up. So building that emotional capital and that trust and that transparency ahead of time before something happens is very, very important. And I'm, I'm all about that. I'm, I'd love to build emotional capital, build that emotional capital with our community because God forbid it, something happens, well, you know, I think um, they look a bit, look, look back to way, way back to Jesse Washington also and think about the, you know, story with Jesse Washington. No, um, I hope I don't miss anything, but like, Correct me if I'm wrong, because I know, I know you know. <laughs> but Jesse Washington was this, like, young black man. I forget exactly how old he was. But um, he got in trouble here in Waco. I think they said, uh, did, he, did he whistle? He whistled at a white woman or something. Yeah, they said he whistled at a white woman. And then they, you know, found him guilty and dragged him, you know, down the street and hung him and, like, you know, had it as, like, a big display for the whole city to see. And I feel like with that being something that did happen in Waco's past, a lot of people don't really – move forward and kind of see that, you know, a lot of those people aren't here no more. They're not in charge. You know, a lot of things have changed. You know, we don't, we, we can't do stuff like that. Right. You know, stuff like that doesn't happen no more. Um, so I feel like that might be something else that's also put in as a negative perception on Waco's police yes. specifically, because when we were doing the protest last year and Hope came to me and was like, okay, so what, um, what is the point of the protest? Like, what are you trying to get done after the protest? And I was like, Oh, I don't know. Like, we just wanted to, like, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's like people people were, you know, um, protesting in Austin. And, you know, we just wanted the George Floyd stuff to get taken care of the right way. So we were just trying to join the conversation. I didn't really have something actionable for us to do afterwards. And that's where Change Waco came in. Well, she was like, okay, we have this that we can use and turn people's attention to and try to, you know, use that as the next conversation starter. Um, So, yeah, that I I think that that makes sense. Uh, I'm glad that y'all took action after it was over right (laughs) and and formed a coalition to try to to address some changes or prevent stuff from happening before it happens and and i had heard of that that was one of the things before i got here my sister sent me uh a book it was a history some kind of yes (laughs) yes and so and and you bring up a good point when you said that it just made me think about something so we paint people with these broad brushes right so um, back in the in the doing civil, I know you guys, but y'all know your history. Uh, doing the civil rights movement when police officers were enforcing Jim Crow laws, that's what this that's part of the problem, right? Yeah. Even today, mm-hmm. and even some young people don't understand why they don't trust the police. But from generations, it's been passed down. We don't trust the police. Yeah. Yeah. We don't do it right. But it was because police officers were enforcing those. Those rules, those were were laws on the books that they were enforcing, you know, Bloody Sunday and all this stuff that that happened in our history. And then on the flip side of that, we get officers, young officers to say, but that wasn't me. I didn't do that. And and what I try to instill in them is that, yeah, it wasn't you. But the fact that we put on this uniform every day, every time they see that uniform, that's what they're they're seeing. So it's up to us to extend that olive branch and make that difference in our community, increase those positive interactions to say, hey, we're going in a different 
different direction. This is not what we're doing, right? So um, that I thought about that when, when you said that because, um, yeah, we do that. And then I suffer with it on my end because the officers are like, but – but it wasn't yeah. me. Yeah. I wasn't there. Well, yeah. And, and and it's the same thing as, you know, um, when our officers get into a foot chase and, and they're they're running and people are running after them and they take it so personal. I can't believe they ran from me. They didn't run from you. They don't know you. They right. ran from the police. And, and you're in this uniform. Mm-hmm. They don't know you're a Sunday school teacher and a coach. They don't know that. They just know that during the day and right now at this moment you were, you know, you, yeah, yeah, you were a police officer. So, um, yeah, it, it kind of goes both ways. So, yeah. And I think the thing with the Jesse Washington incident was that there was never an apology and people had to live with that trauma because Waco is a small town and a lot of people that was their family. And so the biggest problem, like I said, is that there was never an apology and no one has ever really um, just outright addressed it. No. And I think that if there was a conversation, like an open conversation, we know what happened, that this is how we're going to move forward. Things could be not not that they could be fixed, but they could be better. Um, because just that that one thing like that, that <laughs> that one incident um, shapes the entire thought process of a lot of black Wacoans. And that that's what they they bring it up. They're going to bring it up. Because, like I said, there was never an apology. Nobody has ever just said and said, okay, well, that was wrong. That shouldn't have happened. There's never been a conversation about it. And I feel like until there's a conversation, there's always going to be that stigma. Well, they did that. They'll still do it because that's how a lot of people feel. And he wasn't the only um he wasn't the only person that that happened to. I think the other man's name was St. Majors. So there was like that person and there was another person so it happened more than once Mm. and it was like a repeat offense for the black community in Waco and even if they were guilty it's like jail them don't do that and leave us to see it because that was horrific I can only imagine yeah that was like I saw the pictures and I was like yeah me too it was just difficult for me to even I couldn't even stare it I just saw it and went oh they had it in town square and I think that that's why a lot of black people don't come downtown and they don't talk about it, but that's why they don't come downtown because that's that's where they happen. And my grandmother, like my mom's mom, God rest her soul, she taught that's that's how I didn't learn about Jesse Washington from school or anything. She told me. She told me. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it's gener it's being passed down from generation to generation. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, okay, well, I'm I'm scared to go here. I'm scared to go there. Like, you know, us never going really outside of East Waco or North Waco because we didn't feel welcoming other communities, mm-hmm. um, things like that. And just understanding, like, Waco used to be a sundown town. We don't know when it stopped. Yeah. So for us, it's like we stay on our side of town. Y'all stay on y'all side. And that's really how it was even when I was growing up. And I'm just about to be 30 in October, so I'm not that old. And it's just like it's that it's that current than recent and so it's it's a lot it's yeah, a lot it's, um, <laughs> it's a lot of history even mm-hmm. with the the gentrification happening in east waco that's yeah. hard for us as well because like y'all didn't want to send y'all side of town and y'all wouldn't come over here and now you're coming you're buying it and we have to sit and watch everything that we've built everything that we cherish dwindle away yeah. and it's changing so before it's, our eyes it's a, this is a much bigger issue this is yes but everything goes back to well the police and i'm like yeah. well it's it's a it's lot deeper a, than that yeah, yeah. and is. i don't think a lot of people have 
I tell everybody, and I don't mean to be home when I say this, but the general public is not as educated as we would like to believe. Yeah. So their comprehension of what is happening is not going to be what we see right. at all. And there's a lot of ignorance, and they really don't know. And it's not to be ugly or anything, but it's the truth. They really right. don't understand. And no matter what you say, what I say, what WR says, sometimes there's just some people that just won't get it. And it's always right. going to be whatever they were taught that's right. ingrained that's in their brain. Yeah, that's what they yeah. believe. And that's their reality and their truth. And so for the people we can't help, <laughs> we have these conversations because it's just like, you know, we can only have the conversations to try to help. But I tell people all the time, if you're not going to be a part of the conversation, and even if you don't decide to come to the conversation and talk, if you're not going to be a part of the solution, then you don't need to say anything. Then I don't yeah. want you to say yeah. anything. Yeah. I'm <laughs> with you. I'm with you. Be the change that you want to say. Don't just yes. complain, complain, complain. And then yeah. you come to me anything. with some solutions, yeah. you know. Yeah. What would you like to see different? I'm with you. I get yeah, it. so um, I think it was big for us uh, just – and you becoming a police chief, like, that was big for us. I think I cried because I was like, oh, wow, this is never, like, I never, I never, ever imagined that, especially not a black woman. Super not, yeah, <laughs> so super it was like a double minority for me. And my brain was like, oh, wow, like, this really just happened. And I didn't, yeah. oh, I didn't really wow. know how to take it because what we, we've always seen, you know, there was always people of, power they were always white like the people of power and wake up have always been white it's always yeah. been the same families it's always been the same thing for us and so now that waco is kind of on this pivot it's a lot like i'm like okay it's really kinda jarring. <laughs> but it, it's jarring <laughs> but exciting it's yeah, really and, nice yeah. yeah and and i can only imagine i just and and you know when i when i applied to waco i wasn't I didn't look to see, okay, yeah, I'm going to be the first black female. My, my primary concern was that I was qualified um, and that I could do the job mm -hmm. because the last thing I wanted other communities to say, well, she got it because she's black yeah. mm -hmm. or yeah. she got it because she's a female. Well, I want you to say that, yeah, but she's a qualified black female. Yeah, no, yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> she, she put in the work. The to, you know what I'm saying? Exactly. Yeah. She's the best person for the job. I remember but, the swearing and they kind of went in, you know, over everything that you had done in Houston. And I was like, okay, yeah, like, I'm excited. Yeah, <laughs> I'm excited to get it. And it was right, the, yeah. I said she has the credentials, right. so they can't, they can't say anything. Yeah. And even when, um, when, Y'all were in the interview process. Like, that was <laughs> that was crazy for me because I was looking at all of the candidates and I was like, this is a nightmare. Like, some of those people, we were like, please, like, please don't. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so it was yes. like, please, please don't because I just was like, okay, here we go again. Here we go again. And that's how it felt. And so we talked and we talked amongst ourselves and changed Waco and we were like, okay. So, you know, what do y'all think about this person or that person? And it was it was scary. I'm was scary. not going to lie. Oh. It was very scary. But I appreciate that the city took their time. Yeah. Because that was yes. important to us because at first it, it did feel kind of rushed. And I was like, I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah. Kind of just happened. I remember yeah. meeting the, the former, I guess, police chief. Uh, was it Holt? Ryan Holt. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I remember meeting him and he was telling us how he was stepping out to become the, the assistant city manager. But they, he was... He was like kind of the city assistant manager, but they were still going through the you know interview process. Right. So he was still kind of police chief too, and it was a weird process to me. But um, no, yeah, it, it was super major when you got announced that yeah. you'd be coming in and taking the position, and not to like 
I don't, I don't even know how to say this, but like not to bring in like you know color, skin color into it. But when I first heard it, I was like, okay, it's gonna be some like light skin lady, because like you know like <laughs> this is a whole another conversation. But like people of um darker skin colors always kind of get like more discriminated against, yeah, and kind of get overlooked in favor of people who are lighter skin. So I was like, we're not gonna get like you know someone who is actually of color to be like a mixed lady or something like that. And then no, you're like a, a brown skin, no. darker skin black lady. No. And I was like, okay, that's dope. Like I love it. Like I really, I'm really excited to see it. I'm really, I'm really happy that yeah. they chose you. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's it's good to be here. I mean, it, and I've been welcomed by all of our community so far. Yeah, and I know there's some <laughs> naysayers. I know there's some haters out there somewhere. Yeah. But for the yeah. But for the most part, um, man, I've been welcomed by every culture in this city, and it has just been a phenomenal opportunity. I'm trying to get my family here because so we're having a great yeah. time. Okay, we have, Mike said we got to wrap it up. Okay. <laughs> we have two more things <laughs> to change, Michael. So oh, okay. the, the fourth one says um, to support and enhance mental health services within the community, which we've talked about already, yeah. so mm-hmm. we don't have to go back to that. Yes. And the last one is um, – support the logistics of developing and implementing a bail fund in McLennan County. Um, so a group of community members will, who will be a uh, part of Change Waco's work have researched how to start a bail fund to reduce the harm of bail practices in our county. So I guess this is for people who may not be able to afford um, bail or, mm-hmm. you know, bail bills, but they're not always the best people. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I guess that's for mm-hmm. those people and so that mm-hmm. they're treated, still treated fairly. As long as they're being treated fairly and consistent, consistently, again, once it makes it past our charges, we have nothing to do with that. But right. I've, it's fair and consistent and equitable across yeah. our community. Then I, I don't see why I wouldn't support something like that. Yeah, that's true. yeah I, 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 I wouldn't make that decision. Um, but if it's providing an opportunity for um, people of color to be treated fairly, absolutely. Awesome. Um, do you have like a email that we could submit any other questions to that people might you know give us from the live and stuff like that? Sure. My email address is Cheryl S H E R Y L V at Waco TX dot gov G O V. That's easy. Mm-hmm. Cheryl V. And and if you can't remember that, you can go to the website and there's um, when it has the chief of police at the bottom and it says email, you click it and the email comes directly to me. And she responds, mm-hmm. guys. And, <laughs> and I'll respond. Yeah. She has mm-hmm. I think you have any more questions? No. Um, oh, wait, I do want to go on record to say this real quick, just to backtrack a little bit, a little bit. But um, they they did they did do some type of apology. Um, they did when when Miss uh, Commissioner Pat Miller took us took me and the rest of Blacks into the like um courthouse and showed us like you know where she sits at and all this kind of stuff. She gave us a little tour of the courthouse, and they have this like little paper that's like not a little paper, but it's a piece of paper and it's framed in like this display. And I can't remember. I I think it is an official um apology because she went into how long it took. Like she was like, it, oh, it took like they 10, were supposed to be 15. building a memorial. Yeah. Oh yeah, that thing. See, it took so long. I forgot about that. Yeah. They're supposed to be building a memorial somewhere in town square, but I wasn't sure if that was a go. That's why I said that there was never anything the, the official. The paper was like old. It was like you could tell that you know it was all yellow and stuff like that. And Gross. she was like, she went into how long it took for them to you know officially Issue acknowledge it. Yeah. She was mm-hmm. like, it, it took them a long time to even get this paper, but there, there's not a. There's not a big citywide apology. Like one of the things yeah. that when we talked about with blacks and like we try to get them to do like a Jesse Washington statue or something like that to kind of like Yeah. You know, they're supposed our, to be a memorial in the works, but I don't know yeah. um what happened with that. But they were supposed to be working on it. But it still ain't an apology. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing, you know, big and, you know, apologetic. We tried to get like a Black Lives Matter mural and 
on, on the street like they do in Austin and PV. I saw the Austin one this past uh, week. Then they we couldn't even do that. They were like, there's no city, you know, thing put in place for us to do that. And I'm like, well, can we look at the other cities who have done and it and what, just copy yeah. them? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And it was just like Our pulling teeth. It was it was really strange. But um, yeah, no, yeah, I just want to say that there is some there is a little piece of paper that you know today <laughs> acknowledges it, and you know they're supposedly working on a memorial, but you know stuff gets said and then kind of quiets down. But thank you. Well, hey, ask about it. You're asking what we can do. Ask about it. Got you. Squeaker wheel gets the wrong. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, yeah. Well, Lee, thank no. you so much for coming to, ch- yeah. to chat with us. No, oh, absolutely. Man. Thank you for having me, and congratulations again on your one-year anniversary. Thank you. And, thank uh, you. Thanks for welcoming me here. It's been a great time. Of course. Um, as always, okay, I was like, as <laughs> always, Stories of the Streets um, is sponsored by Black Scent, the new Black Collective, Change Waco, and Rogue Media. You can follow us on Instagram at <laughs> Stories of the Streets underscore on Facebook at Stories of the Streets. We are all on all streaming platforms at Stories of the Streets. And you can reach us um, at Stories of the THA Streets at gmail.com. This has been a Rogue Media Podcast.